0: The Peter Schiff Show. We have an all time high in the Dow Jones today, trading above and closing above 22,000 for the first time ever. Donald Trump did not tweet about this today, although yesterday he did put out a tweet that the market was about to hit 22,000. Of course, he's claiming credit for it. In fact, in his tweet, He pointed out that when he was elected, the Dow was at 18,000, and now it's 4,000 points higher. Of course, he's claiming credit for it, but he says the media is ignoring it, and I don't think they're ignoring it. I mean, they are reporting on the record highs in the Dow, but believe me, when the Dow starts falling, I think that the media is going to pay a lot more attention to the declines than they did to the rises, especially since Trump has already branded this market uh, with his moniker, And so I think when the media can take advantage of that opportunity that basically Donald Trump has teed up, that they will waste no time doing that. In fact, Donald Trump did put out a treat also yesterday in which he was bragging about wages rising and how strong wage growth had been. And I don't know what Donald Trump is looking at because, you know, we got the personal income and spending numbers yesterday and income in um, June was flat. Zero. They were looking for a gain of 0.4, and instead they got a flat number. That was the weakest uh, number for monthly personal income growth since November, the month that Trump was elected. So he's talking about the wage gains. I mean, where are they? They're not in personal income. And most people's income is, you know, comprised of wages. And in fact, the number that was originally reported for May was revised down from up 0.4. Uh, to up 0.3. So weak economic news. And again, that weak economic news didn't uh, stop the stock market from making a new high today. Of course, Apple was the main reason. You had almost a 5% gain in Apple following better than expected earnings. In fact, I think I heard that Apple was the only stock in the S&P 500 today that actually made a new high. So it shows you that it's a very narrow rally. Although the S&P Did manage a slight gain. Actually, the NASDAQ closed at a slight loss, but it was down, I think, maybe 40 points at one point, and it managed to close back. So, obviously, not a very broad-based rally. The Transports did manage uh, a 30-point gain. But remember, they got a 300-point drop, I think it was Thursday of last week. So we've had a pretty uh, sizable correction in the transports. Airline stocks had really been getting crushed. You know, autos, we got news yesterday. Auto sales, very, very weak. GM and Ford, both down on the day yesterday. But again, more indication that the auto bubble is deflating. Again, the media doesn't seem to notice this. You know, I was watching on CNBC today. They had a report on the summer box office and why it was so weak. You know, and I've talked about this, and they were trying to speculate, what is it? Is it the movies are really bad this summer, or is it just, you know, that much more entertaining for people to to watch at home, you know, with Netflix and all this stuff? And they're trying to figure out, you know, why the box office is down. Meanwhile, it's not down internationally. You have pretty strong box office in other countries. I mean, it's very strong, let's say, in China, but, you know, they have the same options in China. I mean, they, they can stay home and watch uh, the Internet there. Or they, they, it's the same movies, right? So it's not necessarily quality. You know, the one thing that they never thought about was maybe it's the weak economy. Maybe Americans have such lousy jobs and ticket prices have been moving up that they just can't afford to go. Look, I took my son, my four-year-old son, to the movies uh, over the weekend. Just the two of us went. And I think you know I have an adult ticket. I'm not really sure when I start to get the senior citizens ticket. I got one adult and I get one kid ticket for him. And I think it was about I don't know 15 bucks for the two of us. And then I bought a popcorn that we split. Uh, I got a water and he got a slushy, and that was like another 15. It was more than 30 dollars for the two of us to go to a matinee. I mean, I imagine if you, you know, a family of four trying to go to the movies with these prices. I mean, that's, I think, the real reason that people aren't going out to the movies. It's not because the movies stink or because it's so much better to watch at home. I think the experience of going to a theater, I mean, it's 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 enjoyable. It's fun. It's a day out. I mean, you know, you want to break up the monotony. You just can't sit on your couch all day and, and watch your, your, you know, your big screen. You go and you watch a real big screen at the theater but it wouldn't even dawn on cnbc to think that it's because people are too broke and they can't afford uh the rising ticket prices so they're going home because of economic necessity not not for the reasons that they're they're speculating on but the strength in the stock market didn't spill over into the dollar the dollar was down again today dollar index hitting a new low for the year 92.55, of course, the euro being the star, we almost got up to 119 for the euro. You know, I read that this is the weakest start to a year, although I guess now we're almost halfway through. But as far as how the dollar has done in any year from January through this point in July, this is the worst decline or the biggest decline for the dollar since 1985. And, you know, that was the year of the Plaza Accord. And, of course, early on in that year, the dollar was rising. It was con- continuing its rise from the year before. And the dollar peaked out in March. So it was rising until March. And then it collapsed. And the dollar index fell, I'd say, about 30% over the next uh, three years. And then over the next seven years, continued to fall. I mean, that began a 10-year bear market in the dollar where it lost, I don't know, 35 40% or so from 1985 to 1995, and then the dollar finally bottomed out, and then it had that big rally and a bubble, I think, uh, along with the dot-com bubble, and it peaked out in about 2001 and then crashed again to new record lows in 2008 before we had this most recent dollar bubble, which I believe has already popped. The air is coming out, and if the decline that we have in 1985 ushered in a 10-year bear market in the dollar, I can imagine the type of bear market that we're ushering in now, because the U.S. economy is in far worse shape today than it was in 1985. I mean, it's not even close, the amount of debt we have, uh, the Fed's balance sheet, how screwed up the economy is, you know. So if if we had a bear market then, I mean, this one is going to be the mother of all bear markets, and it's just beginning Despite that, though, gold prices still really haven't been able to muster any kind of significant rally. Today was no exception. I mean, we were up a little bit uh, on the price of gold for most of the day. In fact, we were actually down uh, earlier this morning, uh, and then we managed a small rise. But I think we closed down about 2 bucks silver down about $0.13. Cents. You know, somebody hit the gold and silver market early in the morning, even before we got the ADP jobs numbers then uh, the gold rallied back, but really couldn't mount a significant rally. Uh, Despite, again, you know, the jobs number that we got today was probably in line with expectations, maybe slightly weaker than expectations. But, you know, if you look at the number again, we created 178,000 jobs. I think they were looking for maybe 180, 185,000, so maybe a little below. They did revise up quite a bit. The prior month from the original 158 to 191, but that kind of brings it into line with the number we got from the government. But we lost 4,000 manufacturing jobs. 4,000 lost all service sector jobs. You know, this is the same type of lousy jobs report that we were getting under Barack Obama, right? We lost more manufacturing jobs. Those are goods producing. Those are higher paying and we got all these jobs in the service sector, in retail, in healthcare. care. Um, these are the low paying, a lot of part time jobs. You know, of course, Donald Trump is probably going to claim that this is all fantastic and we have all these jobs that are being created. But these are the same type of low paying service sector jobs that uh, Donald Trump was extremely critical of and correctly so when he was a candidate. And that was the message that was resonating with so many people because they had these lousy jobs. They were being tired of being told you know, how great everything was because they had jobs when they knew they had a lousy job, that they lost the good job they used to have, and now they're working two or three crappy jobs. So we're still creating these crappy jobs. Nothing has changed. All that's changed is Trump now owns the crappy jobs, and so he's now talking about how great they are. Now, while I'm talking about these economic numbers, we got more weak numbers in general earlier in the week. We got the um, Chicago PMI came out 58.9. They were looking for 61. That was the number that we got on Monday. And on Tuesday, construction spending, too. Not only did we get a weak number on uh, personal income and spending, but construction number for um, june was supposed to be up 0.5 and instead it dropped 1.3 i mean that's a big difference now granted they did revise up the prior month from zero to up 0.3 but down 1.3 from up 0.3 is you know, more than offsets the fact that they were looking for up 0.5 from zero. So again, that that's going to take out of the GDP number for the second quarter. Uh, so again, more and more weak economic numbers. Nobody cares. Everybody ignores it. Stock market making new highs. But again, beneath the surface, there are a lot of cracks. There are a lot of warning signs, like the transports uh, I mentioned earlier, the drop that airlines have had significant uh, corrections. Uh, you know, just in the last week or two. And, you know, some of the uh, the new IPOs I've been talking about these stocks, uh, like Snapchat, that hit another new low today, down 3.44% on the day. Blue Apron, I was talking about that. You know, that stock hit a new low today, uh, down another 2.67%. Now it's at 6.20. The low for today was 6.05. Remember the IPO what was it now a month ago was at 10 bucks. The initial POC brought it to 11 And now it's down, barely holding on to a 6 handle. But the reason I point out these stocks is like, these are kind of like the weak link of the chain, right? The fact that they're snapping is indication that the the chain is under stress, right? Remember when we first had the, uh, the blow up in the subprime market, everybody was wondering, well, you know, is it going to be contained to subprime or is it going to spread? And I remember that because I was saying at the time, it wasn't about spreading. I said that the whole mortgage market was already infected with this disease. It's just that the weakest portion were the subprime. So they were displaying the symptoms quicker right they you know they were more prone to the disease because they were marginal to begin with right if, if there's a disease and you know you're kind of already sickly maybe the disease will affect you quicker than if you're relatively healthy and in good shape maybe it takes longer for the symptoms to uh, to become uh, noticeable so i was saying that hey just wait give it a little time and you're going to see that the problems that are in subprime the same problems are in prime it's just taking longer for uh, those problems to, to go, come to the surface. And of course, I was right. That's exactly what happened. So I think, again, it's similar when you see these you know marginal companies, these new IPOs that were darlings and everybody was excited about them, right? They're blowing up. They're hitting 52-week lows. This is a warning signal that everything is not right on Wall Street. Because if everything were perfect, these stocks would be going up. It doesn't matter that they're overvalued. Everything was going up in the bull market. Now these things are going down because they're the weakest links. I mean, they're very overvalued, but the whole market is overvalued. But just these stocks are maybe the most overvalued. So they're the ones that are coming down. But that doesn't mean the rest of the market isn't going to succumb uh, to the same disease. It's just taking the rest of the market a little longer uh, before uh, it's weighed down. And here is the, the risk, and I'm talking about this and very few people are, is that what is Yellen's tolerance for a weakness in the stock market? Because under Barack Obama, you know, once the market was like a 5% correction, I mean, even before it got to 10%, right, the Fed was out there, hey, we might do more QE. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're, we're not going to raise rates. I mean, the Fed was doing everything to throw the market a lifeline if it looked like it was going down, right? But will they show the same amount of love to Donald Trump? I don't think so. I mean, I think that uh, yell and put is still there at some point, but I think the strike price is a lot lower. I mean, the Fed might be willing to allow a 20 percent decline before it comes to the rescue, because then if they let the market go down 20 percent, that's a bear market. And that's Donald Trump's bear market. He's going to own that bear market. So the Fed might be willing to allow a bear market on Trump's watch that Trump is now responsible for, because now it proves that he's A bad president that he screwed things up especially if they can get some tax cut in that they can blame it on or they can try to blame it on the deregulation that he claims has been going on but then if the fed has to rescue the market if the fed has to save the economy from the trump bear market when the market is already down 20 percent and then they have to do qe4 and then they have to cut rates maybe it takes the fed off the hook see the fed can say look our policies worked just that Donald Trump screwed it all up, and so now we've got to do it all over again. But if it wasn't for Trump and his terrible policies, everything would have been fine, and we would have been able to keep raising rates, we would have been able to shrink our balance sheet. But no, that's not happening, because Donald Trump is there, and he's such a disaster, and his policies are so terrible, and he reversed all the good things that Obama did, and now it's back to the drawing board, back to square one. We're right back in the hole that George Bush put us in. So now we got to do the same policies all over again. This is what happens when you vote for a tax-cutting, deregulating Republican, right? This is the kind of rhetoric that we might expect if the Fed has to come. Of course, the Fed wants to deflect blame away from itself, and it wants to put it on Donald Trump. And of course, Donald Trump has set himself up as the perfect scapegoat, right? He's taken the Fed's bait, hook, line, and sinker by bragging about the stock market, And by bragging about this economy, uh, despite the fact that all the real signs indicate that the economy is weak and that the stock market is even a bigger, fatter bubble now than it was when he was uh, running for office. Now, while I'm on the topic of the stock market, I was reading an article today in The Wall Street Journal about Switzerland, the Swiss National Bank, and the enormity of the portfolio that the Swiss bank has accumulated in an effort to keep the Swiss franc from rising against the euro. They now have about 750 billion dollars worth of assets. 750 billion. Switzerland is a very small country. There's not a lot of people there. So, if you want to break this down per capita, it's, you know, it's about $90,000 per person. Per person including the little babies. So, you're talking about let's say a family of four, mother and a father and two little kids, you're talking about close to 350 thousand dollars per family that the swiss national bank has now in a brokerage account basically in behalf of the swiss national bank because all of those assets all that 750 billion is foreign right none of it is swiss government bonds or swiss corporate bonds or swiss stocks it's all european debt and a lot of stocks mainly u.s stocks you know i mentioned apple is the big mover today new to- new all-time high the swiss national bank They got $3 billion worth of Apple. Just that one stock. They're one of the biggest investors in Apple. Now, why does the Swiss government have $350,000 per household in a brokerage account? I mean, this is ridiculous. Could you imagine in the United States if the Federal Reserve had $350,000 in a stock portfolio for every American household? I mean, every American household is broke. I mean, can you imagine if if they just sent that money to each American? Because theoretically, that's what the Swiss National Bank can do, right? Just send every household in Switzerland uh, $350,000 just to add to their net worth. Because theoretically, right, they own it anyway. But why did they do that? They did it to keep the Swiss franc from rising, which was an asinine policy. Because if the Swiss franc had gone up in value, right, then the Swiss families on their own could have decided to take the appreciated Swiss francs that they had, and they could have used those Swiss francs to buy cheap foreign assets. They could have bought Apple stock on their own if they wanted to, or they could have bought any stock, or they could have bought real estate, or they could have used it just to buy a new Mercedes-Benz because it would have been cheaper importing it uh, from, from Germany with their appreciated Swiss francs. I mean, this is all potential purchasing power that the Swiss National Bank stole from the Swiss citizens and sacrificed it on the altar of a weak currency is good, right? That somehow a strengthening currency is a bad thing, and it's so bad, we want to steal $350,000 worth of purchasing power from every Swiss family to prevent them from getting all that extra wealth. Now, of course, now they're in a situation here because they do have a paper profit on all these stocks, and now the Swiss franc is starting to fall. I mean, it's at, you know, close to a two-year low now against the euro, even though it's still up this year against the dollar, it has been falling the last uh, you know, week or two against against the euro. And I think also what's happening is a lot of traders are unwinding a long Swiss franc short euro pairs because, you know, they probably put those on because they wanted to bet the euro would lose against the Swiss franc, which you would think would be a long term would be a good bet. But Um, Now they're unwinding those bets because all of a sudden people aren't as worried about the eurozone. People are being more confident. And so now they're unwinding those trades. Now, what does this mean for Switzerland? Well, number one, it means they're probably not going to be adding to their portfolio of U.S. stocks. So that takes away a major buyer. Because if the Swiss National Bank doesn't have to keep printing Swiss francs to weaken their exchange rate and then using the, the euros that they buy to buy U.S. stocks, right? Well, then that's a big buyer that's removed from the market. But at some point, if the Swiss franc loses enough value against the euro, then the Swiss government is going to want to shrink its balance sheet so that it can keep its currency from being too weak against the euro. But what does that mean? That means they have to start selling uh, Apple stock or whatever else they own. So that is another major potential seller out there. And of course, the way this all blows up on the Swiss bank is if the very act of trying to unload these stocks and buy back the Swiss franc, if it sends the Swiss franc too high, they end up wiping out the gains that they had on their portfolio and replacing them with losses. Because as the Swiss franc goes up, especially if the U.S. market tanks and then the Swiss franc goes up, then all of a sudden the Swiss National Bank has huge losses on these portfolios and of course you know remember there was a time where the swiss citizens were trying to force the swiss government to buy gold right to have like 10 percent of its reserves in gold and they voted it down because they said that would be irresponsible to uh to force the swiss national bank to buy gold so instead of buying gold they bought apple and they bought all sorts of other u.s stocks that are far riskier than gold you imagine if that referendum had passed And if they have $750 billion in their stock and bond portfolio, if they had to have $75 billion of that in gold, imagine if the Swiss uh, National Bank had to buy all that gold, where would the price of gold be? But of course, the Swiss National Bank would be in a much better position today if they had a lot more gold and a smaller portfolio of U.S. stocks. Because who knows what's going to happen to that stock portfolio? I mean, the stocks could get killed. Right. They would be much better off. But no, no, no. They told the voters that's crazy. Don't try to force us to buy gold. We want to do something responsible, like buy the S&P 500. We want to print a bunch of money and buy overpriced stocks. But we don't want to back our Swiss francs with gold bull. You know, that would be foolish. We want to back our Swiss franc with U.S. technology stocks. I mean, so I mean, I would much rather have a currency backed by gold than a currency backed by the stock market. You know, especially, you know, given what could happen in the short run, if we get a major drop in the stock market, we've had that, Uh, we've had a couple of major drops in the last 20 years. But of course, if instead of a major stock market drop, we end up getting massive printing of money, and we get a dollar crash, that imposes the same type of losses. Because if the Swiss franc ends up doubling in value, and US stocks just tread water during that period of time, that means the value of the Swiss National Bank's holdings in terms of Swiss francs, which is their reference currency, well, that means the value of their portfolio gets cut in half. So for the Swiss bank, the U.S. stock market losing half its value or the Swiss franc doubling in value while the stock market stays the same, the losses are the same for the Swiss bank and the Swiss people. So that is another potential problem. But I do think, number one, that with the Swiss National Bank out of the stock buying business, and potentially getting ready to start entering the stock selling business, that is another reason to be somewhat skeptical on the sustainability of this move above 22,000 in the Dow. And Donald Trump ought to take a hard look at this before he sends out his next tweet. But I think it might even be too late. I mean, I think he, he might already, you know, have claimed ownership, and you know what, it might be too late. But who knows? I mean, I've seen Donald Trump, you know, he's now, when he's giving his speeches about the failure Of Obamacare, he's kind of saying he's kind of claiming credit that he was right. Like he said, "Well, you know, I knew this thing wouldn't work. I was saying initially that maybe we should just let it implode. So I guess I was right." I mean, he's almost like you know making lemons out of this lemonade. So I don't know. I mean, maybe Donald Trump would even be able to claim ownership of the market going up, but then as soon as it collapses, say, "Well, you know, I was right. I told you it was a bubble. I knew it would pop." And, you know, so he might be able to have his cake and eat it too. I mean, he seems to have been successful on this. Or maybe he'll say, look, everything was going good, but, you know, they, the, my, the Democrats screwed it up or some of my things didn't get passed the right the way I wanted it. And so initially things are going good because the markets thought I was going to get my agenda through and they were confident. But then all these terrible things or maybe he can say, look, Yellen was too tight. She raised rates too much and you know she screwed it up. So he might be able to find a way to deflect the, the criticism. We'll see. I mean, he's been a great politician so far. But I still think it would have been better to continue to talk about the market as if it was a bubble and as if, the bubble had nothing to do with Trump's policies. Therefore, the popping of the bubble would have nothing to do with his policies either. Also, today, President Trump reluctantly signed economic sanctions against Russia. I think it also includes sanctions against, let's say, North Korea. But, you know, I have been commenting on the potential blowback from these sanctions because the United States, when we issue these sanctions, What we're doing, too, is we are exploiting the fact that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, and we use that as a weapon to enforce the sanctions, because then we basically say that, look, if any banks or any companies do business with the people that we're sanctioning, we are going to— Take away your ability to access the U.S. dollar. We're going to take away your ability to process U.S. dollar payments, uh, to do wires. And since the dollar is the reserve currency, if you're a financial institution, if you're a major one anyway, and you are shut out of the U.S. dollar, I mean, you're SOL. I mean, you really can't operate. I mean, I know that my small bank, Euro Pacific Bank, we've been operating without U.S. dollar capabilities now for two years you know, the dollar used to be the vast majority of our business. And, of course, now it's the euro. But we lost a lot of business because we got shut out of the the U.S. dollar. Now, we're getting back. We finally got another correspondent. We're back into the dollar. And, of course, I've also, in the process, we're moving our bank from St. Vincent's to Puerto Rico. One of the reasons is that will assure us access to the dollar. And so we will be able to provide our clients with full capabilities for payment processing in U.S. dollars, and that is something that we need because a lot of people still use it, especially a lot of international businesses. There's still a lot of payments being done in dollars. But when the United States government uses that as a club, as a weapon to try to force people to behave the way they want, it really starts to create questions in in other countries' minds. Why are we giving the U.S. government all this power? why are we using the dollar as the reserve currency now the dollar's status as reserve currency is going to go anyway i mean we're the world's biggest debtor nation we have huge trade deficits you know so there's lots of reasons why the dollar should not be the world's reserve currency so we're going to lose that status anyway but you would think we would do everything we can to hold on to it as long as we can you know there's an old uh, saying don't bite the hand that feeds you Because they may stop feeding you and you need food. And if you can't get the food yourself, you're going to starve. America needs food, right? We need imports. We don't have the factories. We don't have the productive capacity. We need access to foreign products. We need access to foreign savings because we're broke. We're not saving. You know, the savings rate again is back down to where it was when we started the last two recessions. And it was, you know, it's not like we have much savings during good times. But when times get bad, we deplete what little savings we have. So we need foreign savings. We need foreign production. We need that capital. And, and so we need it. We need the dollar to be the reserve currency. When we lose that status, you know, this exorbitant privilege goes away and our phony standard living is going to come crashing down. I mean, don't these idiots get that? I mean, talk about poking the bear Right, which literally would, would rushes the bear. But why would you want to do that? You know, you would you would hope you leave the bear alone, right? And and hope this thing goes on. But you know, by doing this, by constantly you know you know using this dollar status, punishing people, reminding people of the power that we have because of this privilege, it's simply going to hasten the demise, and it's going to mean that the dollar's days as reserve currency are going to be uh, fewer, right? That it's going to be a quicker Uh, period of time before we lose that status. You know, by the way, final thought, Alan Greenspan, again, there was an interview on Bloomberg, Alan Greenspan, once again, really pounding the table for stagflation, you know, coming to the United States. And I agree with him 100%. I just think that the stagnation is going to be more stagnant and the inflation more inflationary than even uh, Alan Greenspan is willing to admit. Now, what he admits publicly and what he believes privately may be two completely different things. Maybe, you know, he doesn't think the public is, 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 can handle that much truth. But that is the environment we're going to go in. Like the 1970s, he was referencing the 1970s. It will be worse than the 1970s. And, of course, that is the worst economic environment to live in. But it's going to be the best economic environment to invest in if you're investing in my strategy. Because what does stagflation means? That means we get slow economic growth. That means we get slow earnings growth for corporations. But we get higher inflation. Now, the Fed can't fight the higher inflation. It can't be aggressive and raise rates because that would worsen the recession. And also, it would make it harder for the government to pay the interest on the exploding national debt. And by the way, you know we're getting ready for to increase, I guess, the debt ceiling again. Uh, We've got that coming. I'm sure everybody's going to vote to increase the debt ceiling. They're working on tax reform, basically tax cuts, light on the reform, heavy on the cuts, although probably not as big as cuts as everybody was hoping for, but there will be some cuts and they may even pair it with infrastructure spending. So we get a double barrel of deficit spending of Keynesian pump priming. They increase government spending while they're simultaneously reducing the revenues to pay for the spending. So the deficit is going to explode. But when you have a weak economy and the Fed is out of the picture, remember the Fed has this dual mandate, right? which is you know, low unemployment and uh, low inflation, But if inflation is picking up and unemployment at the same time, they have to choose which dragon they want to slay and politically, which one is it going to be? They're going to allow more inflation and they've already laid the foundation for allowing more inflation. They are going to go after the unemployment, which they think is cured by printing money and cutting rates. So stagflation means the economy has low growth. Profits are barely growing. In fact, profits, corporate profits could be falling as inflation is getting higher and the Fed is doing nothing to restrain it, which is bad for bonds. I mean, and Greenspan said this himself. He thinks the bubble is in the bond market even more than the stock market. That's where the irrational exuberance is. And yes, in stagflation, bond investors will take bigger losses than stock investors, but in this environment, the winners are the people who are investing abroad. The dollar is getting killed, so global stocks are going up. And as the dollar is getting crushed, that's a huge tax cut for the rest of the world, right? All the dollar denominated debt is, is is basically being forgiven, right? It's almost like, you know, you barely have to pay any of it back. And then all the commodities priced in dollars are getting cheaper and cheaper. So foreigners are seeing big increases in their standard of living and their purchasing power. Foreign assets are soaring in value relative to U.S. assets Gold prices are really going up because now the dollar is losing its status as a safe haven. People are seeing the problems. People are selling dollars or buying gold. I mean, this is the best economic environment. I wasn't a broker back in the 1970s. But if I was and I was doing this strategy back then, we would have killed it. We would have made a fortune during the 1970s. I think that this strategy is going to work even better now in the coming decade Than it was back then, because as I said earlier in this podcast, the country is in much worse shape now than it was uh, going into the 70s. I think I mentioned that with about the 80s, but it was even it was the country was even stronger in the early 70s. So we, we we are so much we were the world's biggest creditor nation back then. We still had trade surpluses. You know, I mean, the national debt was tiny compared to where it is now. I mean, so now we are a shadow of our former selves. The problems are much, much bigger. So the stagflation is going to be worse. And that means the profits, the profits that people will make with stagflation portfolios, right? People that have money invested in foreign stocks, foreign bonds to a lesser extent, but foreign stocks, commodities, gold are going to make an absolute killing, I think, uh, if Greenspan is right, not just not even if Peter Schiff is right, if Alan Greenspan is right, if Alan Greenspan is right, we're going to make a ton of money following my strategy. If he's right, now why? Why you know? I mean, if you want to believe a central banker, why not believe Greenspan? I mean, Greenspan is a lot smarter than Yellen. He's a lot smarter than Bernanke. He's smarter than the two of them put together. I mean, Greenspan—he was an Ayn Rand guy, right? He was a hard money guy. He believed in the gold standard, and you know he still does. Right. He had to he had a you know, check his conscience at the door when he was Fed chairman. But remember, uh, Ron Paul always talks about the story where he ran into Greenspan, you know, in the hallway and he asked him about the article he wrote, Gold and Economic Freedom, while he was Fed chairman. And he said, Mr. Greenspan, you know, if you had to go back and rewrite this, you know, what would you change? And Greenspan said, I wouldn't change a word. So in other words, he believed the entire thing the entire time he was undermining uh, the system with all of his, you know, cheap money policies and inflating a stock market bubble. So Greenspan actually knows what he's talking about. And even though I still blame him for writing this playbook that uh, both Bernanke and Yellen have followed and expanded, if you're going to listen to any central banker, listen to Alan Greenspan. And basically, Alan Greenspan might as well be saying, send your money to Peter Schiff. Open up an account at Euro Pacific Capital. Buy some gold from Schiff Gold. Because if Greenspan is right, that's exactly what you should be doing with your money. In fact, Greenspan should be sending his money to me, too, so that I can invest for him the same way I'm investing for everybody else.